Welcome to Healthy Perspectives Podcast with Jeremiah, where we provide clinical perspectives on current social and cultural issues. And don't forget, you can subscribe at Podbean, Spotify, Apple, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe at any or all of them. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Getter, Twitter, and many other social media sites. Or you can email us at healthy perspectives with an S at protonmail.com. All right, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. We definitely appreciate you giving us your time. We know how valuable it is, so thank you. Today we're going to be talking, uh, this podcast is inspired by uh, the issues around fentanyl right now. Uh, I, I just have to address this this topic uh, if for no other reason than it's a social s- service to all of you listeners. There has been an increase in fentanyl in the United States. Uh, that has been known for a couple of years. I've been listening as it has been growing and growing. Uh, and it has been uh, growing more rapidly uh, as of late. And why that matters? Well, obviously, fentanyl is is deadly. Uh, fentanyl is uh, often, well, you know what? Well, let's just go ahead and go with this. I, I got to start with the punchline. There's a mixed message culturally in the United States, and it's a really big, terrible mixed message. Our culture tells us drugs can fix anything. Look at our medical model. That is primarily our Western medicine model. Drugs, 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 prescription, prescription, prescription. Get your medication, get your medication, get your medication. And then on the flip side of that, We're told drugs destroy lives. So how do we reconcile those two things? Today, I'm going to attempt to reconcile those a little bit. Uh, And that's going to start with what exactly is the message, the reality? And obviously, this is going to be a little bit of a a take for me. Um, Doesn't mean I'm 100% accurate. So... Definitely check your sources and all of that stuff. But do drugs fix everything or do drugs destroy lives? The medical world would have you believe that drugs, when managed correctly, can fix just about anything. Now, they're not going to say that it can fix everything. Uh, They're going to be more reserved than that. But the way in which they approach your treatment tells you their reality, which is the vast majority of them think that drugs fix everything. That is the reality that they put into the world in the Western medicine model. The only way around that is to go with what we call naturopathic medicine. And that would mean you're going with uh, nutrition, diet, herbs, supplements, stuff like that, uh, as a way of making sure that you're functioning your personal system at the highest uh, possible efficiency and effectiveness. That is a totally different model, though, and that is considered more of an Eastern medicine type model. And we just statistically do not have a whole lot of naturopathic physicians in the United States when we consider how many doctors we have that use Western medicine models. And so then we look at that and we go, okay, 
Set that aside. Do drugs destroy lives? Well, we've got great examples of where drugs have actually saved lives. Saved them. So the truth, as is often the case, is somewhere in between. Drugs do not fix everything. And drugs can be beneficial at times. So how do we know where where to go with this? You know, that's something I'm going to have you wrestle with. I'm going to get a little bit more into the details of the fentanyl stuff that's going on because that's what truly inspired this. But at the end, I'm going to do a what to do. And that's where I'm going to address your responsibility as a person just experiencing this life here in the United States. What is your role? What is your responsibility? All right. We're going to slide over. Fentanyl. It's a synthetic opioid. What does that mean? It means it's created by people and it's an opioid, which means it is designed as more like a pain reliever. Uh, Opioids are often used as pain relief. It's 50 to 100 times stronger than morphine. Now, if you have paid attention to history at all, you understand that morphine was commonly used for a very long time. And then there was this massive shift away from morphine because of its addictive properties. Well, that's the reason why fentanyl is on the move, because of its addictive properties. In its early stages, it was most commonly Uh, mixed in with heroin. And that now is considered to be the old days of fentanyl. It is primarily used for euphoria, like that sensation of painlessness and, uh, you know, like almost not existing in some ways. But it has since moved into being mixed with all kinds of stuff. Now we're seeing it mixed in with pills. Uh, We're seeing it as it's medically used oftentimes as a patch uh, and so on and so on. I'll get into a little more detail on that. And so what is it? Being a synthetic opioid, it's, it's a drug that's designed for pain reducing. And they were thinking originally that it might reduce addictive properties, uh, but it clearly has not done that. Where is it? Right now, this is why I'm doing a podcast on it. It's everywhere. It is everywhere. It is in small towns and big towns. It is all over the place. It was originally being produced mostly in Mexico and China. Now, because of its addictive properties, it's probably being produced in a lot more than that. We seem to think that there's a a pretty growing industry in India as well. And so that means it can come from anywhere. And because of the different forms that it takes, which is what I'm going to get into now, it can move very easily. It's primarily seen as a a powder. Um, By the way, fentanyl is one of those things that if if you've got a powder on your fingers and, and it's got fentanyl in it, and then you touch your eyes, your nose, or your mouth, you're going to have some pretty significant issues pretty fast. Um, 
in depending on the the purity of it, it could be deadly very quickly. And so just having that physical contact, it its absorption rate, it's got an absorption rate, but it's it's not super fast as long as you wash your hands with soap and water quickly, relatively quickly. You're probably going to be just fine, uh, but you definitely, you don't want it to sit on your skin for a long period of time. It can be problematic, uh, which is why it's often used as a patch. Of course, they put stuff to help it seep in to your skin and then your body can absorb it and, and then you can get the effects of it. Um, when it's done medically. It, as a powder, can be moved through pill form. It can be added to just about anything, anything you can think of, because powder is tough to detect. Uh, it's put in nasal spray, uh, eye drops, patches, can be injected. So that gives it such a wide array of mobility that it becomes very difficult, very difficult to, uh, to, to find in a lot of situations. And like I said earlier, what we're seeing more and more is this pill form. It's being put in what looks like other prescription type pills. So it's designed to look, and even recently, I actually just posted this on my website, even recently the DEA has put out some stuff about they're putting it in colorful pills that look like candy. And that means our kids are at risk. Of course, this comes out right in time for Halloween. So keep that in mind as you begin your, uh, your Halloween festivities. Just be careful. I, I, my website I posted, like, don't lose the joy of the holiday, but also be cautious. Anything that's suspicious, don't. It's that simple. I mean, I typically recommend to people, if you're going to go you know, do some trick-or-treating, you know, trick-or-treat around homes that you know, people that you know. That's always a better bet anyway. So who's using fentanyl? It used to be mostly heroin users, uh, but it has, it has blown up since then. It's now often lacing all kinds of stuff. You know, they, you know, I've, I've heard from users that they have been, uh, you know, finding fentanyl in, in marijuana, uh, in, uh, although not commonly, but I have heard it, uh, it is being found in pills. So people might think they're taking a Xanax, let's say, and all of a sudden it's laced with fentanyl. That's obviously a big problem. Recreational drug users are using it. Uh, and sometimes they don't even know they're using it. They just are like, wow, that was really great. And so they go back to that particular dealer to get that particular product again. And notice that part because that, that keys into the, the movement of it. Dealers are using it as a way of hooking clients and keeping clients on. Why? That's how they make a living. That is, I mean... Whether you like it or not, that is the reality of a drug dealer. Is they're, they're making their living by selling you a drug. Addicts are using it. Uh, they're using it to get a higher high. And at this point now, we have unsuspecting people, which I'm going to be honest. You, you've heard my podcast on victims, but the reality is people who don't know what they're taking um, or they think they're taking something else, but they were lied to or deceived. You know, they're victims and they can be kids. So 
what do we do about this? Yeah, that's, that is probably the most important question we can ask. What do we do about this? Number one, going back to my intro, explore the role of drugs in your life. You need to do that exploration. Because if you don't need drugs in your life, cut them out. I mean, what's going to make fentanyl go away faster than anything else? If they don't have any buyers. What's going to make any illegal drug use go away as fast as anything else? No buyers. If there are no buyers, then the drugs disappear. Of course, that's easy to say. It's hard to do. I get it. So be aware of the risk factors. Be aware that they want you addicted to their drug. And that means that they're at some level willing to up the ante. Think about the purity of marijuana. Back in the 70s, you smoked a joint. Hmm, Probably felt a little bit. But today, you smoke a single joint and you're high as a kite. Why? Because the purity of the marijuana that's grown now in terms of THC levels, it's something like five times higher, I think, at this point. It's, it's pretty close to that. Don't, don't hold me to it. Do your own research. But think about that. If you had smoked five, then you smoke one today, and voila, that's the same sensation. So the purity of it. Set boundaries. I cannot emphasize this enough. I'm going to get into the details, but set boundaries. And if you cross those boundaries, make sure that there is something in place to stop you, right? Everybody uh, should have access in some form or another. This is a ridiculous thing that I have to say, but I have to say it. To Narcan, if you're going to use or be around others who do use, have some Narcan. What that does is um, in an extreme case where somebody starts throwing up, convulsing because they have a fentanyl overdose, or to be honest, a lot of other drugs can create overdose effects as well. You, you, you give them the Narcan and a lot of times, not every time, but the vast majority, it will stabilize them enough for the hospitals to help them recover. It will not make them feel good. So, you know, that's, that's another one of those things. Um, I do want to use this opportunity also to go over a relapse prevention plan. Look, I'm a therapist. As a therapist, I'm giving you this, this information because I care, because I give a hoot. Uh, that was me filtering my language. Relapse prevention plan, you don't have to be an addict to have a relapse prevention plan. You just have to be somebody who doesn't want to use anymore. And you're concerned that these social opportunities may arise where you're going to have a drink or have a smoke or, you know, decide to use and you don't want to do that. So you create a relapse prevention plan. And this is how it breaks down. And I'm not going to get into tons of detail, just enough so that you understand the outlines. There's really five categories and one massive action that I'll give you at the end. And I say massive because without it, a relapse prevention plan is useless. All right. Number one, environments. What environments do you enter that you are most likely to succumb to using drugs of any kind? If you don't want to use, then you have to 
go-to environments besides those ones. If you're like, I could use in every environment, you are probably an addict. Um, I could, I, I would be, I would venture actually say you are an addict, right? If you cannot go to different environments and not use, that's a problem. Know your passions and interests. That's important in the self-discovery part. Um, you know, we, we also, another category is self-knowledge, self-care. I'll get into that more detailed, but they, these two tie together pretty intimately. Your passions and interests are the things that matter to you outside of drug use. That's important because what you'll find is that's usually what draws somebody away from drug use, their passions and their interests. If you are interested in being a pilot of a plane and you are, you want to recreationally use, you're going to see there's a major conflict there. You know, being a pilot of a plane and use of drugs is probably not going hand in hand. And so knowing your passions and interests can motivate you in a direction that is healthier for you. If you have, um, you know, the passion and interest of, you know, being a marijuana shop owner, well, then maybe you could recreationally use marijuana and it not be a problem, potentially. It might be, it might not be. And so knowing your passions and interests is a big deal. Support systems. If you don't know what support systems you have, or here's the worst case scenario, you are avoiding your support systems because you don't want them to know about your use. If that's happening, you've already got a problem. If your support systems know of your use, then you have potentially the best chance of not one, not becoming a full-blown addict. And the other is if you start going too far, your support system is aware of your use and therefore can start to rein things in and help you out before it becomes too severe. That being said, some people use a drug one time and they are full-blown addicts. Uh, if you find your drug of choice and everybody has a drug of choice, whether you found it or not, I don't know. But if you have a drug of choice and you find it, you are going to be an addict after one use. What you can do, though, is never return to it, and then you're not addicted to it. Um, but you'll know the moment you use it. It's very clear and very obvious. Even if it's a prescription, it becomes very obvious and very clear very quickly. Self-knowledge, self-care, I told you that ties to the passions and interests. Knowing who you are, who you were, and who you want to be allows you to set up systems uh, around you, whether that's support systems or uh, you know, environmental uh, systems that prevent you from going to drugs as your primary uh, mode of dealing with life. So the backup plan is section number five. It is the final section. These can be done in any order. You know, I'm just giving you ideas and encouragement to explore this stuff. The backup plan is when a person's boundaries are crossed. Here's the deal. When I work with addicts, if I tell them where their boundaries should be, it doesn't work. It doesn't take. They're going to go out and they're going to use it. 
nine times out of 10 or probably like 99 times out of 100, like way more than not. So when they cross their own boundaries that they set when they were sober and they have the right support systems in place to help them point that out, hey, look, when you were sober, this is what you said. Yes, an addict will say, well, I didn't mean it. And they will lie and deceive and and they will attempt to manipulate because they're an addict. But they are more likely to listen to their own old voice than to your voice today. They're more likely. Does it guarantee success? No. But when we're dealing with relapse prevention, what we are trying to do is give ourselves the best chance because even the best chance is sometimes not enough. So we want to create the best possible chance. And having your backup plan in place saying, hey, if I use anything more than this drug and this drug, that's a red flag that I'm going too far. Or if I use, uh, you know, any, uh, anything during the weekdays when I'm supposed to be working, then I'm going too far. If you set those boundaries and then you cross them, that is a clear indicator of when to use that backup plan. And it should be moved on quickly, very, very quickly, because the spiral down can happen really fast. And this is the key element. None of this is worth a darn. If you don't share your relapse prevention plan and your plan for those of you who are not considering yourselves addicts, your plan to use, if you're not sharing that with people who you know will hold you accountable to your plan, not to their plan, but to your plan, then you are setting yourself up to fail. It has to be known by people who love you and care about you. One, that you're going to use, or two, if you do end up using, what to do. And that's what the backup plan does, is it it reestablishes new boundaries because you couldn't hold the boundaries that you had. And so now you need help. That is my recommendation when it comes to what to do about this fentanyl thing. Explore the role of drugs in your life. Be aware of the risk factors that are out there. Set boundaries. Set boundaries for yourself. Set boundaries for you and your friends. Set boundaries, set boundaries. Carry Narcan if you're going to use drugs of any kind. I For any reason, anything at all, I recommend there be Narcan available. Because of the the new stuff that's going down. And it's a great idea to have a relapse prevention plan. Whether you're an addict or not, having a relapse prevention plan is you, it's essentially you saying, I'm going to set very clear limits based on who I am and what I want from life. My environments, passions, interests, support systems, self-knowledge, self-care, and then if I go too far, what is the backup plan to tighten things down and keep me safe? Look, we are not going to solve fentanyl overnight, but we also cannot ignore the fact that it's there. Please listen to this 
and do something with it. You know somebody who goes too far. They drink too much. They smoke too much. You know somebody who's going to benefit from this. Please share it. And then get a good counselor, somebody who is going to love them through this stage of their life and guide them in a way that is healthy. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please take a look at our website at www.healthyperspectives.com with a dash in between the healthy and the perspectives, make sure there's an S at the end.com. So again, www.healthy-perspectives with an S.com. 